It's a Wednesday on Scoops with DannyMac.com. That means we visit with Brian Walton of TheCardinalNation.com. And there is so much to get into because the minor league camp has officially started. So we're going to get into the players that are down in Florida, get an update on some of the top prospects that are in the system and at camp right now. This is brought to you by Rottler Pest Solutions, most trusted family-owned pest control company in the region. Schedule your inspection today and do that at rottler.com. Rottler.com. Also presented by Stratum Structural Systems, basement waterproofing, foundation repair, crack repair, egress windows. Go to their website, folks. This is the wet season now in the Midwest, and maybe you're having an issue with uh, the foundation of your home. There's wetness in your basement, the cracked walls. These guys are the best. StratumRepair.com, StratumRepair.com. Their website, very easy to navigate. Let's bring in Brian Walton on this Wednesday. And, of course, you can follow Brian at TheCardinalNation.com. Does an incredible job covering the Cardinal system and uh, the players inside the system. Good morning, Brian. Great to visit with you. Good morning, Dan. And best to everybody out there listening in today. You know what? Let's talk baseball. Let's talk about guys on the field. And uh, right now, minor league camp is ready to roll. And so those guys have reported. Give us an idea, compare it to a major league camp, what a minor league camp is like for anybody in the game of baseball. Well, the first thing is the numbers are uh, at least double what's typically in a uh, sometimes triple what's typically in a major league camp. The Cardinals in a major league camp will have 60 to 70 players at most. Uh, this year, the Cardinals have 153 players in their minor league camp. So if nothing else, those who watch, look at numbers, uh, you know, we'll see two number 37s and four number 12s. And, but, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for these players who are all competing for a job on one of the four full season rosters. And I'm talking here about AAA Memphis, AA Springfield, High A Peoria, and Low A Palm Beach. Those teams start their regular season the first week of April, and so these players are all in camp, and they're trying to fight to get a job on one of those teams. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, with the Major League camp uh, not going yet is the fact that Okendo and some of these other top instructors really are getting a lot of work with the minor league players. So it could be a benefit to some of these minor league guys to, to have different eyes on them and those eyes being on them constantly to work on their game. Yeah, it's kind of a two-edged sword. Unfortunately, the major league coaches are not allowed to work directly, although uh, my understanding is they are observing what's going on and, you know, keeping their eye on the players. And for, you know, majority of the players, uh, minor league camp, it's no big deal. For the major leaguers, there's got to be a little bit of disappointment if you're a Nolan Gorman or Matthew Libertor and you're hoping to come to camp and try to earn a major league job. But you know, they get to play, right? They get to work out. They get to get ready for the season. And, you know, if the if the lockout continues, those guys will go down to, to AAA, but they'll have a leg up on the major leaguers who are still, you know, just working out on their own and will have to come into camp whenever they come in. Yeah, that's going to be the really interesting part is what minor leaguer, which minor leaguer kind of separates themselves in terms of, you know what, I caught that guy's eye. And all of a sudden, I'm on their radar, and I think that if, if you're a minor leaguer right now, that's probably the approach that you're taking as you approach this minor league camp. Absolutely, and, and, and even some of the players who are better known, uh, the Jordan Walkers and the Mason Wins say, you know, they haven't played any in, uh, high, in above high A, so they're hoping to impress and show, hey, maybe they can get a shot at double A. And then you've got all the 2021 draftees, the Michael McGreevies and, uh, 
and Austin Loves and et cetera, who uh, really only got to throw a few innings last year because they had already pitched their college season. And so now they're going to come to camp, and it's their first time to show, hey, you know, I can make a full-season club. I can contribute in the Cardinals minor league system this year. So, And, you know, the Cardinals signed 20, um, 20 young men last year in, in the July draft. So, you know, there's a lot of folks who are coming to their first camp. I know you'll be down in Jupiter. Brian Walton is always our guest on uh, Scoops with Danny Mac on these Wednesdays. I know you're going to be down in Jupiter fairly soon. Who's the guy that intrigues you the most? And I say that because, you know, a lot of people might say, well, it's Walker, it's Gorman, it's Libertor, Yepes, eventually when he gets into camp. But let's stay with the minor leaguers. Uh, who's the guy that you say, man, if I got a chance to go watch that kid for about an hour, I don't care if it's taking ground balls in the cage, on the mound, but that's the guy I want to watch. Who is that for you? There's a couple guys for me. One is Brendan Donovan, who I got to see for an extended period of time for the first time down in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, Brendan Donovan's ranked number 11 on our top prospect list right behind Lars Newtbar. And Donovan's a left-handed hitter. Uh, he's been called by one scout who I talked to maybe the best pure hitter in the Cardinals system. Left-handed batter, has never hit under 300 as a professional. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, played very well when he got to play three levels last year, played very well when he got to Memphis. And he's a guy that is not you know, going to lead with his glove, but he can play second, he can play first, he can play uh, short, he can play all around the infield, and, you know, the Cardinals need left-handed bats on the bench, and they need guys with defensive versatility. Now, Brendan Donovan had to be added to the 40-man roster uh, back in November for Rule 5 protection, and, of course, the Cardinals did add him. But, you know, they, they sent him down to the Arizona Fall League, and it didn't look like he was going to be able to play much because, uh, you know, the Cardinals had uh, Nolan Gorman down there, and, of course, Nolan Gorman you know, would have played second base every day if he could. But Gorman had a minor injury, a hamstring injury, and so he sat out most of the Arizona Fall League campaign uh, on a precautionary basis, and that opened the door for Brendan Donovan. And he got a lot of notice on scouts, you know, all across baseball. And, you know, he's a guy that I definitely want to see and would love to have seen him in Major League Camp to see, you know, what he could have done this spring. I'm very curious, could he play the outfield at all, or is he primarily just an infielder in those positions that you talked about? I haven't seen Donovan play the outfield, but, you know, these guys are good athletes. Let's face it, Tommy Edmond never played the outfield until he got to St. Louis. That's so, right. Certainly, certainly these guys are good athletes, and they – should and could be able to do that. Don't know for sure whether that's in the plans for Donovan. But, I mean, even a guy who can play all over the infield is a, is a pretty valuable guy to have. Less. Now, you, know, you mentioned outfield because outfield's uh, an area of questionable depth with yeah. a designated hitter. Especially, you, you're probably only going to be able to carry four outfielders on the roster. So, Lars Newbar will be busy as the fourth outfielder. But then, you know, you get into a game where you need some versatility. Of course, you've always got Tommy Edmond, who's proven out there. But, you know, it would be nice to have another guy on the bench who could play a little outfield in a pinch. You know, last week was interesting as you went through your, your top prospects and we finished up the top 50 on thecardinalnation.com. But you do have the best of the rest. I, I'm always intrigued by this because somebody – is going to emerge from the best of the rest and maybe surprise the heck out of you and and all of a sudden becomes a valuable member of double A, triple A and makes it to the big leagues. Is there anybody like that that you're you're seeing on your, your best of the rest roster? Well it's interesting, Dan. We we uh rank as everybody probably knows listening to this, we rank fifty five players, fifty five prospects. But the reality is I had over 70 players, really like six dozen players on my sheet, trying to sort through. And a lot of the players, the young guys who have only played in the Dominican Summer League, uh, a number of whom have been invited, half a dozen who have been invited to uh, minor league camp this year, 
um, are some you know very interesting players, but we haven't got a lot of video. We haven't seen them, haven't scouted them. But the guy that I picked as my sleeper this year is a shortstop, 19 years old, named Michael Husto. And it's spelled M-A-Y-C-O-L, but it kind of sounds like Michael, and then J-U-S-T-O, Husto. He's a switch-hitting shortstop who the Cardinals signed in July of 2019, but his timing was really bad because, of course, there was no season uh, in 2020 when, that, when those guys would first um, play. But he was the offensive leader for in the Dominican Summer League Cardinals, uh, led in batting average, led in on base, and led in OPS. Uh, was very good, both hitting left-handed, right-handed. Uh, struck out only 12% of the time and walked almost 11% of the time. So a young man with very good plate discipline, and he batted 331, which is the highest average of anybody in the system. Now, granted, that's a 19th teenager in the Dominican Summer League, but he's a guy that I want to look you know, and watch and see this year, and I'm assuming he'll be playing in Jupiter uh, this summer. In terms of the uh, Cardinals Hall of Fame, you, you have had a hand in this. You are on a panel that does select some of the selections that uh, fans will have the chance to vote on. Can you describe your role and some of the others that are behind the scenes to, to try to make this happen? And again, you can go to cardinals.com slash HOF, and that uh, announcement was back on March 3rd. I'll go through the players here momentarily, but take us behind the scenes. Pull the curtain back. What's that like? It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great honor. Uh, it's a little bit surprising in a way to be sitting in the same room with, well, obviously now it's virtual via Zoom, but with people like Joe Torrey and Whitey Herzog, who, you know, have, you know, tremendous amounts of baseball experience and knowledge. Um, and uh, a bunch of media members also participate, the, the people that you would know, the Derek Goulds and Bernie Nicholas and all. And we discuss the merits of uh, former Cardinals players. And they're divided into two groups, the players who retired 30 years ago and back, and then the players who have retired in the last 30 years, the more recent. And they're called modern-era players. The older ones are called veterans-era players. So the veteran-era players, we go through all those players, and then we have a secret vote, and one of them gets in every year. On the modern-era side, we can vote for up to 10 players, former, former Cardinals, and the, they usually look for some kind of a stratification in the, in the voting, the percentage of voting. Um, you know, it's kind of a place where there's a big gap, and they say, okay, this top tier are the ones that we're going to put on the fan ballot and, for, and let the fans pick uh, the modern-era player who will go in this year. And for the second year in a row, the Cardinals have dialed it down from two players initially when they started the Hall of Fame down to one modern-era player per year. And I think that's good because, you know, we've kind of got – they've kind of got past this um, – uh, backlog of candidates that there were initially. But in addition of the, to the modern era player and the veterans era player, the ownership has the option to pick one figure from the Cardinals past a non-player. Uh, and that could be someone like a coach or a manager uh, or a broadcaster, anybody who was significant to the Cardinals uh, history in the past. So in the past, we saw people like Mike Shannon and George Kissel and others. And uh, so it looks like there'll be three people who will be going into the Hall of Fame uh, this August. That was back on March 3rd. The voting is open, so to to reintroduce uh, fans to what this is like, again, what Brian was saying, you have the modern era player, veteran players era player, which is a player retired more than 40 years ago, as well as a non-player from the team history as selected by ownership, and again, that broadcaster, maybe a coach, somebody like that. So you have Steve Carlton, George Hendrick, Matt Holliday, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, Lee Smith no longer on the ballot, but could come back on and probably will. 
Uh, am I allowed to ask you uh, who you think might go into the Hall of Fame, or is that taboo? Oh, I mean, I think it's fair to speculate. The good news is fans get to vote, and so they'll ultimately de- they'll ultimately decide, not me or me. But I think, given the recency of Matt Holliday's success and the role that he played, the crucial role that he played for so many winning Cardinals teams, I think he's probably a shoe in to get in this year. And and that says nothing against. Uh, Matt Morris, Nigger Renneria, and Carlton, and George Hendricks. And George Hendricks is, of course, an interesting one because, you know, he was the big bat in the lineup during an era where the Cardinals, you know, weren't doing tons of winning. And, and uh, he helped, the, you know, elevate the, the whole team around him. Was a, was a very, very, very strong hitter. So all these guys, I think, will eventually be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. But this year the fans get a chance to vote, and, and my guess says it's probably going to be Matt Holliday. Okay, go back to that meeting, that Zoom meeting that you have with these great minds of baseball and certainly certain guys whether it's Tony La Russa or if you're Whitey Herzog or others you're going to pull for your guys so what's that like behind the scenes and the cases that are made for specific players and how maybe heated in a good way for lack of a better term it gets in describing what players should go on the ballot uh, it's not heated but certainly um and and people defer and you know of course Red Chandy's um before he passed away was another just excellent resource because they can talk about having seen these players, even if they weren't on their team, you know, Whitey Herzog, of course, you know, wasn't with the Cardinals in the seventies and the sixties, but he saw a lot of those uh, players either when he was in coaching jobs or when he was a player himself. And so he can talk about uh, the players, you know, uh, uh, Max Lanier who, who pitched for the Cardinals in the forties and fifties and others. So it's just a great learning experience, but there's also, you know, the side which talks about the data and, you know, what are the date, what does the data say about players and their contributions? And sometimes there are very positive things that you see guys who are overlooked maybe, but then on the other hand, you see uh, players uh, like a Julian Javier, for example, who was a you know, great second baseman on all the great Cardinals teams in the in the 60s, but his using modern metrics like war, he doesn't really stand up offensively. So there's always a lot of discussion of how to weight the various characteristics. And as you would expect, there's no right or wrong answer. And really all these guys that we talk about, you know, you wouldn't be embarrassed to give them a place in the Hall of Fame. Brian, you know I love history, right? You know that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I love it. So one of the things I love on your site is that a lot of times – you go back and look. It's it's not just about the prospects. Now, again, if you love to learn about the Cardinal system and the prospects, hey, go to thecardinalnation.com. It's the best resource for any Cardinal fan in that regard. However, you also go back and look at different aspects of the history of the club. And so, for instance, you, you've had a great series on labor disputes, and I, I loved reading about that and educating myself a little bit more of what I maybe didn't know. The other thing is, I love Cardinal history. So, uh, shameless plug here, so can you bear with me on this one? Oh, yeah. Okay, so this Sunday on Fox 2 on Scoops with Danny Mac, the TV show, Ed Wheatley uh, will be my guest, and he is the president of the St. Louis Browns uh, Historical Society, their fan club. So he's kept the, the memory of that team and those players alive. You have an article about the 1944 Cardinals. And so for people that are listening are going, okay, what does this have to do one with the other? Well, you're talking about the World Series between the Cardinals and the Browns in 1944. 
Um, and so you have a really cool piece on the 44 Cardinals in which Marty Marion won the MVP. Uh, he hit 267, by the way, six home runs and 63 runs batted in and wins the MVP. Uh, it was the third consecutive year a Cardinal won the MVP. Mort Cooper winning in 42. Stan the Man won in 1943. So I, I am curious about learning from you and others that reach, uh, research these great years, great Cardinal teams. What did you take away from the 1944 St. Louis Cardinals? Well, it was, a, it was an indication – and as you mentioned, the, the streetcar series where the Cardinals played the Browns in the same ballpark because the, the Cardinals were tenants in Sportsman's Park, which was uh, owned by the Browns. And the 44 Cardinals were really a, a monument to the work that had been done by Branch Rickey and the others building the Cardinals farm system. Because as most folks know, by, by 44, World War II was in full swing, both in the Pacific as well as Europe, where it started sooner. And so... Uh, for example, Ina Slaughter and Terry Moore, two of the offensive leaders of the Cardinals in 42, were off at the war. And so the Cardinals, because they had this depth in their minor league uh, system, they were able to bring up guys who could continue to fill in. And the Cardinals really um, you know, dominated the National League. They won 105 games that year in the regular season. And by the way, just to remind folks, that's 105 games when they had a 154-game season, not 162. So it was a tremendous uh, you know, regular season team. And there were you know, many, many, many stars on the team. Mark Cooper, Max Lanier um, on, the, uh, on the pitching side, Walker Cooper, the catcher, as you, uh, um, Mark Cooper's brother, Marty Marion, as you mentioned, uh, Whitey Kurowski, who's a guy who we've looked at for the Cardinals Hall of Fame third baseman, and, um, and many others. And so it was, a, and it was, of course, led by Billy Southworth, who is a member of the Hall of Fame as a manager. He was with the Cardinals uh, through the mid part of the 1940s and then uh, moved on to the Braves. A very successful, uh, actually a two-time manager of the Cardinals, uh, Billy Southworth. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, Ed talked about this in our visit, and um, I'm curious what you think. But he said the Browns really, when you, when you kind of sum it up, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't, I don't mean to – steal his thunder here but he said it's it's really a team of what ifs and you just hit the nail on the head what if branch ricky stays with the cardinals and they uh or with the browns excuse me and they invest in the farm system and they become the preeminent team coming out of the american league maybe it's the browns that stay and the cardinals that that uh, move on it, it's really fascinating when you go back and look at those years and just where baseball was, the economics of it, and farm systems, and guys that knew what to do with the farm system, and Branch did. You're right, Dan, and if you look at the Cardinals, go back and look at the Cardinals' history, probably the bleakest years for the franchise were in the 1900s and 1910s. That's right. You know, until the, until the 20s, until Ricky, Ricky got there and got things going, the Cardinals were, you know, perennial bottom dwellers in, in baseball. And this, you know, everything that Ricky did, he's most known for the farm system, but he did a lot more in terms of institutionalizing teaching and, and scouting and, you know, just all aspects of the game to build that, that strong machine that was the Cardinals. And you're right, if, if he hadn't shown up there, you know, history might have been very, very different. All right, what are you working on right now? I know you got the prospect guide. we got minor league camp in full swing. What's going on at thecardinalnation.com? Yeah, we're still finishing up the analysis series on our top 50 prospects. You mentioned we talked a little bit about the, the guys in the best of the rest, but we're doing some more slicing and dicing of prospects based on their ultimate potential and when we think they'll reach the major leagues, because that, after all, that's what this is about, you know, feeding the, the pipeline to St. Louis. Uh, the Cardinal Nation prospect guide, I'm up to my eyeballs now in the final editing. <laughs> uh, that should be going off to the printer in a couple of days. 
and then uh, and then we'll be able to get the PDF versions out as well. Um, very very popular. Very it looks like it's going to be almost 300 pages this year, which is a new record. It's tons of information both about history and about the current Cardinals, how the season went last year, and the guys that we think well, will step up this year. Hey Brian, uh, what's the best way for folks to subscribe to your website and also get that prospect guide? And I. I say it all the time for anybody that listens to us on these Wednesdays. I love to steal your information. You make me sound smart when I'm on the games. And I can tell you in writing the forward for your your prospect guide, if I didn't have that in 2020, I would have been lost with all the different players that were called up. So if you want to look at the stars of tomorrow, uh, the prospect guy that you put out there is the best. It's not even debatable. It's the best that's out there. So the website, the prospect guide, what's the best way for folks to go about this? If you show up at thecardinalnation.com, there's a menu bar right across the top of the page. And uh, to the left, it says order 2022 prospect guide. So you can read all about what's in it. You can read testimonials. You can look at the table of contents and understand all that's in there. Uh, and then more toward the right, there's a button that says YTCN, which goes through the benefits you get from being a subscriber. And right next to it is a button which says subscribe, and that allows you to, to join uh, for a 12-month period. And people who join the Cardinal Nation get the prospect guide PDF at half off. So we you know, give you some benefit back as well for your business. It's great. It is great stuff. Hey, Brian, thank you so much. Uh, you're always flexible with me on schedules and whatnot. I know fans really look forward to our visits on Wednesday. So thanks for doing this. Hey, I enjoy it too, Dan.